Sophos is just out with its 2020 threat report. What are some of the highlights and what's the analysis as we go into the new year? Hi, this is Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about the Sophos 2020 threat report today. And it's my privilege to be speaking with John Shire. He's a Senior Security Advisor with Sophos. John, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. So, John, you're just out with this 2020 report. My first question for you is, how would you say the threat landscape has evolved the most in 2019? Sophos Labs just recently published this report, and there were six cybersecurity trends that we highlighted. The thing with threat reports that you see very often from companies like us and other security companies is, is trying to look you know, as forward as possible to see what we can defend against. But what we've done this year is, while we're trying to present some evidence for what some of the key indicators are gonna be for some of the threats to be followed in 2020, is what happened in 2019 that sort of gave us some ideas as to where this threat landscape is evolving. So ransomware attacks, you know, we've seen a lot of those in the past and they're continuing to increase their ability and and in many areas they're, they're increasing the skill level that is uh, being used in these attacks. And, and on the back of that, we're looking at how cyber criminals are increasingly using automated techniques in concert with their own skills in order to do as much damage as possible within any hack and respectively with uh, with ransomware attacks. And then there are also things like the, uh, you know, we talk about the internet background radiation, right? There's a lot of traffic that goes on the internet constantly every day, but this, there's some of that traffic, if we really introspect it, we can spot some, uh, some signs of what some of the cyber attacks are doing, specifically around RDP and how they're using that. Uh, we talk about mobile malware, cloud computing, how that's gotten some companies into trouble, and, and just the misconfiguration that can lead to some potential troubles. And then finally, we touch on machine learning. So a great defensive tool that is now being looked at academically in terms of how can this be used for nefarious purposes as opposed to just the defense. So how can it be used for offense as well? Well, John, that's a terrific overview. And if you'd like, let's dive into some of the specific trends that you've seen and the ramifications for 2020. And let's start with the first one you mentioned, ransomware and automated active attacks. What can you tell us about your findings? So ransomware has been around for some time. As a matter of fact, uh, a very uh, auspicious birthday is come out, uh, coming up in December of uh, this year, which is the 30th anniversary of the very first ransomware sample we've ever seen as an industry. But the, the type of ransomware we're seeing today, this crypto ransomware, the, the, the ones that uh, encrypt your files and demand payment for the, the decryption key back, um, that's not going away. We, we've seen uh, an evolution of that landscape from the more opportunistic or what we kind of call spray and pray ransomware, where you just send a whole bunch of emails out there with infected documents, hoping that people infect themselves and pay you a one-off fee. What we've seen is that because we've gotten better at at uh, securing desktops and we, we've got better processes around how to maybe restore from backup or re-image machines. The cyber criminals have shifted their focus towards some other assets within the environment, namely the servers, the ones that have the critical data, the ones that have the, you know, the CRM or, or ERP applications, your website, your databases, those kinds of things, um, because there are some opportunities there. And the servers, no, typically, especially if they're mission critical and they're, uh, they're part of your production environment, may not get patched as often. Uh, they may not even have some of the basic cybersecurity defenses that we're used to having on our 
laptops and desktops as traditional endpoints. So this has been sort of a ripe target area for the cyber criminals. And when we talk about automated active attacks, what we mean is they're blending the use of automation and automated discovery techniques in order to first sort of harvest their target pool. And then finally, the active part is where the criminal themselves gets hands on the keyboard. So it might start off with something like using Shodan, the internet search engine, to look for potential targets in the form of RDP exposed hosts. And then once they've breached that perimeter and have gotten inside your network, they might use some other automated tools to maybe do privilege escalation. So maybe they'll take a, a tool like Mimikatz, which harvests credentials and escalate themselves to domain administrator access. And then finally, the criminals will get on the keyboards and start doing things like deleting your backups. They'll shut off your other domain administrator accounts. They will maybe even shut off your security software. If they've got the passwords, they are you. They can now do things like turn off your security software. And then finally, they'll use your own software deployment tools against you and deploy the ransomware to all of your servers all at once. And now instead of demanding a smaller sort of $500 one-off ransom fee, they're asking for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Well, to follow up on that, what can you tell us about unwanted apps, one of your other key findings? I know that Sophos Labs recently uncovered a couple of examples of these that generated global headlines. Yeah, so these unwanted apps, uh, they generally uh, are found in the Android ecosystem. And um, there's a, a bunch of different kinds. You've got the unwanted apps that are obviously malware. They're the ones that um, will bring in some malicious code that will attempt to steal information. Or we've even seen in the past where Android phones are being turned into bots, just like traditional computers. And that's that's really the the message when we talk about mobility today is that the smartphone in your pocket is no different than the laptop or the desktop at your desk. Then there's other kinds of apps that are abusing the adware ecosystems that a lot of the mobile world relies upon these days. So uh, many of the apps that we consume on a day-to-day -day basis are free, and the reason they are free is because either you are the product or because they're running ads alongside with that app in order to monetize their business. And what we've seen is that the cyber criminals are abusing the adware ecosystem in order to make as much money as possible. Very often what they're doing is they're loading ads in the background of the app where you may not even see them and they are faking clicks. So if you are part of an ad network and one of your users that's using your app clicks on an ad, then you get a premium for that. You, you get paid by the advertisers. And so what the criminals are doing is they're faking these clicks and sometimes they're even going so far as to abusing the trust of the adware ecosystem by pretending to be multiple devices on one single device so they'll constantly rotate the identity of that device so that it looks like it's multiple devices that are clicking or multiple users that are clicking on those ads and they'll also even fake the type of device we've seen them fake uh, you know android devices faking to be an iphone for example because advertisers will actually pay an even more of a premium for iPhone user clicks. And so these are the kinds of things that we're seeing. There are even some adware malware out there that are just being overtly uh, criminal, if you will. They, they will actually pop up these ads that will completely block your screen, and there's really no way around it except to click on the ad to go away. And then finally, one of the other things that we highlighted were what we call fleeceware apps. And this is interesting because the criminals in this case aren't actually trying to do anything uh, illegal or overtly criminal, what they're trying to do is abuse, again, they're, they're trying to abuse the rules by 
getting you to download an app with a free trial, which is only usually about two to three days, that if you don't uninstall the app and contact the actual app developer themselves to indicate that you do not wish to be part of the trial anymore, they can then charge you upwards of $200 per month for using that app. And so many users who will download these apps, they'll think, oh, you know, this is, there's a one that turns, you know, pictures into GIFs. There's another one that uh, allows you to edit photos. There's some other ones that are screen recorders or voice recorders. So there's all kinds of apps out there. And users think, well, this, this app is not useful to me, so I'll just uninstall it. I, I saw that it, you know, it was a trial. I'll just uninstall it and the problem will go away, except that it doesn't. You have to do both the uninstall and contacting the people behind the app in this case. And, and that's why we're calling this fleeceware, because it's really not something that users are consciously buying into. They're being tricked into paying for this monthly or sometimes yearly subscription. John, one of the other areas you talked about was cloud computing and misconfigurations. What can you tell me about this trend? The increased adoption of cloud has been really great for business in terms of uh, rapidly deploying services and, and rapidly making things available at, at scale for startups and for uh, businesses out there. And what we found, however, is that the cloud is also a complex place. Just like if you think about your own in-house environments where you've got potentially hundreds if not thousands of servers, each with their own configurations, um, layering the network on top of that with all its configurations and, and, and uh, access management to those systems, that same paradigm exists in the cloud. And users uh, and companies who are moving and shifting their assets to the cloud are having a difficulty with configuring the access and identity management, even just routing the traffic properly within the cloud. What that's doing, these misconfigurations, is allowing little avenues and holes into the environment for cyber criminals to exploit. And part of the reason that this is occurring, part of the reason that this misconfiguration is occurring is not just because it is a complex ecosystem that requires a lot of you know, in-depth knowledge in order to how to configure it properly, but also there's a, a lack of visibility. And that lack of visibility, I think, is what's contributing to a lot of the issues that we're seeing with regards to the cloud being exploited. Because it's so easy for a developer to spin up a, an AWS workload or whatever your cloud of choice is, uh, it may get missed in the typical sort of best practices of how do we deploy an endpoint or, or a server into the environment. And if they are doing some work that is, you know, development work that might lead to production, they might forget to promote that server to production, or they might move on to a different workload which has the production code on it and then forget that that training set or the, uh, the test uh, workload is still available. And that in and of itself starts to, to cause problems. And so that lack of visibility, that lack of coherent view of the entire ecosystem, what's connected to what, what is connected to the outside, who can talk to it, what user accounts are able to access these workloads, all of that leads to this uh, general lack of visibility and this confusion and misconfiguration of cloud assets. John, how do you find that attackers are now fighting back against some of the newest defenses we've deployed in the past few years? So what we're seeing is a demonstration by the attackers uh, that are looking to see, well, how can I circumvent some of these 
defenses, right? So uh, over the last few years, we've seen the, the emergence of technologies like anti-exploit technologies, anti-ransomware technologies, and chiefly we've seen a lot of machine learning being adopted by organizations and integrated into security products. And so because these technologies are new and innovative and actually really work well in terms of frustrating attackers and making sure that they are not as successful as they used to be, obviously the attackers now need to respond. They need to figure out, well, okay, if you're gonna put this roadblock in my way, how am I gonna circumvent it? Because obviously as a cyber criminal, you still wanna make your money, you still wanna be breaching corporations, you still wanna be leaking databases. So we've seen them be more aggressive now in terms of some of the technologies they're using to counteract some of these. And in the machine learning domain, now the, the caveat here is this is more of an academic pursuit, but we're also seeing some evidence that uh, that the attackers are paying attention and trying this for themselves as well, is we're seeing attacks against poisoning machine learning models. So there was um, a few attacks recently where just attaching or appending benign strings to a piece of malware would trick some machine learning models into thinking that it was actually a benign sample as opposed to a malware sample. And this is due to the way that, that these, these uh, machine learning models are trained and some of the decisions that they have to make in order to reduce the amount of false positives. Uh, and then we're also seeing some evidence uh, that these machine learning models can be turned on their head in terms of working for the offense as opposed to the defense. So right now we can use a machine learning model to detect things like uh, portable executable malware, so your EXEs, DLLs, those kinds of things. We can also look at um, the contents of emails and, and understand, you know, is this a phishing email or is this a you know, business email compromise type scam? And, and we can use machine learning to detect those kinds of things. We can use machine learning to detect the uh, presence of a malicious URL, for example. And what the criminals are doing is turning it down on its head and saying, okay, well, if you're gonna use it for detection, why can't I use machine learning to craft a better URL to, to trick you into clicking on that, uh, that link? Or why can't I use machine learning to craft a better phishing email that will be virtually undetectable because it will use the language and the structure that you're used to from your common business emails? John, we've talked a fair amount about trends and about threats as we look ahead. Let's turn to this. What are some of the technologies and solutions you're most excited about as we start into 2020? So let me start, Tom, by talking a little bit about when it comes to defense, let's talk about three things. Let's talk about doing the basics right, then some of the preventative technologies, and then finally some of the, as you said, the newer technologies that we're getting excited about that are going to help users and companies better protect themselves. So. The first step is being, we need to do the basics right. And these are things like, obviously, you know, taking backups offline and offsite. It's making sure that your systems are patched as soon as the patch becomes available. And for those production systems that maybe need a little bit of extra breathing room, this is when we'll talk about anti-exploit technologies very shortly. But also using things like multi-factor authentication. This really frustrates attackers because if they manage to steal a password, it basically shuts them out if there's multi-factor uh, authentication attached to that user account because they won't be able to get in. So these are some, not all, but some of the basics that we need to do first and foremost. Secondly, we need to focus on prevention when it comes to security technologies. So making sure that you can stop the attacks before they even start. So when it comes to email, so we talk about infected docs a lot, right? 
sandboxing, making sure that as the email comes in, if it has an attachment, we can inspect that attachment, we can determine its intent before it's actually delivered to the user's inbox. Good old AV is still relevant. You know, we saw 4.3 million detections of WannaCry in August of this year when we did a little bit of a, uh, had a bit of a look into that. And that's the kind of thing where AV can excel. It can say, all right, this is an old threat. I know what it looks like. I know what it does. I'm just going to block it. You don't need any fancy tools for that kind of thing. And on the prevention side of things, I had mentioned anti-exploit. So if you do have assets on the network, such as your mission-critical servers, that you can't just patch on a whim. When, when Microsoft releases their patch on a monthly basis, you can't just patch it that same day. You need to do some testing. You need some QA time. So what anti-exploit technologies do is they shut the door on all the exploit techniques that are being used by cyber criminals to attack servers, to attack endpoints. And so this is one of these technologies that has really great prevention ROI because it, it actually shuts the technique out, not just shutting the malware out itself. And then as we look forward, we're looking at ways that we can apply some of these newer technologies like machine learning in ways that are innovative and, uh, and increase the protection. So I kind of alluded to them already, but things like looking at your inbox and, and determining you know, what does known good look like in John's inbox of all the emails that he both sends and receives, and then how can we use a machine learning model to attempt to find some of the, um, the outliers, the things that just don't quite match, and then maybe we can be, uh, have an early detection system for things like phishing emails, but not only that, what if John's email gets compromised and he's now part of a business email compromise scam, being able to detect those kinds of things. And then using machine learning further into things like looking at all the commands that are being issued on systems, whether it's at the command line or through applications, and determining if there's something fishy going on there as well. And this really leads well into the EDR and managed threat response, MTR side of the house that uh, Sophos has recently released, which is now that you're set with a good foundation, now that you've got some tools that can prevent the attacks from happening in the first place, let's start focusing on where are the problems, right? So if we can kind of eliminate 99% of all the, the low-hanging threat fruit out there, we can start then looking into the environment, knowing what normal looks like, knowing what the you know, average sort of day looks like for a particular endpoint or a particular user, and using EDR and MTR to figure out what's happening in any given situation. So if all of a sudden I'm, you know, I, if, let's say I'm, I'm traveling, I'm in um, Vancouver, for example, and my hometown is Toronto, and I'm logged into the Sophos office in Vancouver, and all of a sudden my VPN shows up in Toronto. Well, that might be a problem. There might be something going on there, and we can use not only the machine learning models, we can also use the expertise of our threat analysts through the MTR product to alert you of these things. And then finally, one last thing, we talked about cloud misconfiguration. We've got a tool called Cloud Optics, which gives you full visibility of your cloud assets, regardless of whether you're AWS or Azure, and really give you a full map and picture of the environment so that you can make better decisions about which workloads are out there, which ones are active, which ones are talking to the outside world, which ones are intercommunicating with each other, and then what users have access to those workloads. So that's the kind of technology that's really, technology that gives you visibility is what's gonna help us protect against future threats. Well, John, that's been very insightful, but I know we've only scratched the surface of this new 2020 threat report. 
where can our audience go to get more information and more resources to complement this report? So uh, if you want to read the threat report, just simply go to sophos.com slash threat report. And if you just want to get info on some of the latest attacks, some you know the, the things that we write about on a daily basis at Sophos Labs, uh, you can go to um, Sophos Labs Uncut blog, which is part of the corporate news blog. And then if you want general tech news as well, the excellent award-winning Naked Security blog is also available for people to just get their regular dose of the security news. John, I appreciate your time and your thoughts today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Again, we've been talking about the Sophos 2020 Threat Report, and I've been speaking with John Shire. He's a Senior Security Advisor with Sophos. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.